Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right. Hi there, and welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, and we are continuing our study today in C.S. Lewis' book, The Mere Christianity. We're going to be looking today at, uh, at book three, sections one, two, and three of Mere Christianity. We're going to be talking today about Christian behavior. And so as we begin, Lewis kind of picks up on the conversation about Christian morality that he has uh, that he started in the beginning of the book, and and he, he really unpacks the idea about Christian behavior and how how behavior, how those things that we do are related to the sense of, of Christian morality. And so the first thing he points out is that there's there are really three aspects of of Christian morality. One is that morality that governs how people interact between one another. The second is how people are within themselves. In, in other words, like what's that intrinsic sense of right and wrong and that intrinsic sense of understanding ourselves and understanding the world in terms of the gospel. And then the third thing that Lewis says about Christian morality is, is this idea of how we fulfill the purpose that we were created for. His observation is that modern people are usually only thinking about the first, about how people interact between one another, and and they're usually gen generally are ignoring the idea of how people are within themselves, people doing the right thing uh, for the right reason, that we do things because it's the right thing to do, um, and that that's, there, there's an intrinsic motivation about that. And, and what he says is the world essentially judges us about how we care for and interact with one another, and it perceives that, that Christians should be people who, um, who deal differently with other people but it doesn't really reflect on the fact that the gospel changes us from the inside out. And it doesn't reflect on the idea that the gospel ultimately transforms us so that we can fulfill the purpose that we were created for. And I think today we really see this about the emphasis on morality only being sufficient for how people interact with one another. There's very much a narrative that says that that what you do in your own life, what who you are in your own person, that's your own business. And that really all we should be concerned about is how how we treat one another and kind of the social test. And and we look at the world, like maybe even with a little bit of disdain about that. One of the things I, I really want us to think about is we see this playing out in cancel culture today in our society that that there's this idea that when when people fail publicly, when they when they fail to act well or fail to treat people well or fail to live up to um, society's understanding of the right thing to do, then then the answer is that we we just eliminate them. <laughs> we just disregard them completely and and we start to to react against them like everything that they do is wrong and all that they are is wrong. We, we just completely cancel them. And Lewis says that's that's kind of the way that society looks at morality in general. I would point out to us in the church that that's really not a new thing for the church. You know, it's been said in the past that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And unfortunately, we have 
a bit of a reputation and sometimes a pattern of behavior in the church that we we're quick to to sort of give up on and quick to disregard those people that have failed. When in reality, uh, we should understand that that the process of sanctification doesn't happen instantly and it doesn't happen completely, that people are in process of becoming more like Jesus. And so that means that we're going to be a community in the church that although we're growing and, and being conformed by the spirit to the image of Jesus, we're going to mess up and we're going to sin. And Paul, Paul wouldn't talk about so much in the New Testament about the need for the confrontation of sin and about the the need for restoration from sin, if it weren't an expectation that that's going to be needed in the body of Christ. Jesus wouldn't have talked about the things that he said in Matthew 18 about confronting a brother or sister in sin and about restoring them and, and about the process of restoration if he didn't anticipate and didn't know that we were going to have to do that. And so, honestly, I think sometimes people are turned off by the gospel, by their understanding of morality, but they're also turned off by to the gospel because they the the way that they see morality played out in you know inside the the Christian church, and and that that ultimately sometimes Christians are are the ones that don't really reflect this inward change of how people change within themselves, and 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 we don't we don't articulate and don't really live out well. Um, this idea that the gospel, that that life in Christ ultimately settles the question for us, that we're fulfilling our created purpose because of what Christ has done and because of how he's transforming us. So, you know, the Bible really has some, I think, some pointed things to say about, about these three aspects of morality. And so I want us just for a few minutes to kind of dig into that. I want to use Romans 12, 9 through 21 to be the passage that we kind of primarily dig into about these internal and external aspects of morality and what Paul says about that, and then talking a little bit about fulfilling our created purpose. And so Romans 12, 9 through 21 says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another, or live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So first, what do we what do we see that Paul points out about those inward internal aspects of morality, those things that are that are sort of those things that we're that we're to do in the spirit because they're just the right thing to do? 
Well, the first thing he says is abhor evil and love what is good. You know, there's there's ample counsel through the, the New Testament about how we position our minds, about those things that we choose to bring into our minds and about what we choose to ponder. And the overwhelming case in in the Bible is that we're supposed to think on those things that are that are godly, that are good, that are reflections of the good character of God. And that when we place our minds on those things, it, it helps us to have a right view of evil. It has a helps us to have a right view of those things that, that displease and dishonor God. And it helps us to fall more in love, not just with the things that God loves, but it helps us ultimately to fall more in love with the God who loves them. Second thing that he says, he says, love one another. That we're given this command that that part of inward transformation makes us lean into people, even in their frailty and even in their 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 difficulty. That we love the unlovely. Why? Because we're being transformed into the image of Jesus, and He loved us when we were unlovely, and and that's a mark of spirituality that we that we ought to cultivate, we ought to pray for, we ought to strain and lean into. God, help me love the people that I don't want to love, that I don't like to love. Um, that that God you you know that that God make me more like like you be zealous. Um, in other words, pray for fervency, um, lean in for fervency in the things that we do outwardly and in the way that we serve the Lord. Be fervent in spirit um, that we that we become people who don't have a sense of quit when it comes to the things of God that we crave and that we press in and that we're hungry for the things of God. Where does that hunger come from? Part of where that hunger comes from is when we plead to God for it. <laughs> when we ask God to, to give us a bigger view of Him, but, to, but we ask God to give us a hunger for more of him. Rejoice in hope. You know, again, I think one of the things that sometimes we we look for so much joy and fulfillment in this life that we forget that the ultimate story of the gospel is that there's there's complete hope beyond this life. And, and that while we're in the midst of difficulty, um, ultimately we can look to knowing the end of the story and knowing that that we're going to, that hope, and hope is not hope against hope, but our hope is in Jesus and we, that we know that he's, he's won the victory. Be patient in tribulation. How can we be patient in the middle of our suffering? Because we know that Christ is with us there. Because we can dive deep into the person of God in the midst of those things that are difficult, that we can learn more about who God is, even when we hurt and even when we're suffering. And then finally, be constant in prayer. Why? Because inward transformation, because our inward man is being renewed day by day, not by the things we experience, not by by the things that happen in our lives, not by this the, the things of this world, but ultimately we're renewed day by day by the Lord. And so our communion with Him is terribly important because it, it helps to keep us connected to that. And so we need to be, need to be attentive to these things because we, we recognize that this list of things, are that we are only capable of them when the Holy Spirit is empowering us and transforming us. But that in the economy of the way that God has, has worked this, we're not merely mindless robots that are, that, are, that are moving through with God pulling the strings. We're not puppets. We participate in our own spiritual formation and that part of the Holy Spirit's work in empowering and transforming us is also giving us the privilege to lean into God and to lean into his word and to lean into prayer and to lean into service and to lean into all of these things as spiritual disciplines that ultimately transform us from the inside out.
Now, Paul then goes through a list of externals about things that ought to be characteristic of our lives and, and ought to be characteristic of the way that we interact with other people. He says that we're supposed to, to live out our brotherly affection. He has this, there's this phrase in there that I love. It's like one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. He says that we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. It's supposed to be a competition among us in the body of Christ to try to honor one another more. Instead of self-exaltation, it ought to be other exaltation. And that ultimately people who have died to self and, and are living to Christ, that as those kind of people, we ought to be mindful of and we ought to cultivate and we ought to press into preferring others over ourselves. And that includes in, in the way that we talk about them and the way that we honor them in, in the way that we, because ultimately what we're affirming in them is we're affirming the glimpses of God that we see um, in their life and in their character. Number two, he says, serve the Lord. That that our, our tendency again is, is to protect ourselves and to make sure that, that we're taken care of. That's what our flesh tells us to do. But life in the spirit says, pour out yourself and serve others. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints to, to show hospitality that we're within the body of Christ. There ought to be a way that we could be seen as different because of the way we love each other and the way that we take care of each other and the way that we host one another because we're brothers and sisters. We're not just merely members of the same community. And so we ought to treat each other like family and the world ought to be able to see that we're family by the way we host each other and by the way, the way that we show hospitality. Another external, he says, bless those who persecute you. You know, if you go down to the end of this passage, Paul talks about this idea of, of feeding and, and giving, you know, giving sustenance to people who are your enemies. Like, why do we do that? We do it because, because ultimately we believe that, that we're not increased or decreased by our, by our own actions, but we trust the Lord. And so we're not looking to, for people to get their just payback from us because ultimately we trust the God of justice. Um, and, and so we don't curse them. We don't, you know, we don't act out. We don't lash out against those people that wrong us. Um, but ultimately we lean into them and we serve them. Why? Because, because we want to look like Jesus, but also we want to be people that trust that even their justice is ultimately up to God and not up to us. He says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. In other words, be someone who, who is careful to keep your ego in check because we realize that ultimately there's no reason for ego because, because the good things about us are ultimately reflections of God and are ultimately good gifts that have been given by God. And they ultimately don't, they don't speak to our worth and, and they, they ultimately, um, speak to and testify to the worth of our creator. He, he talks about this idea, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, we're, we're people that can enter into the highs and lows of life with others and that we can, we can experience true joy and we can walk with them in true pain. And we can do that because, uh, because ultimately we're bringing the essence and the, and, and the aroma of Christ to bear in their lives, that we're, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus in their lives. And so we understand that in the highs and in the lows, the important thing is the presence of Jesus and ultimately the truth of the gospel. And, and so therefore we can bring that and make that present. He says, don't be wise in your own sight. In other words, we know that wisdom comes from God and that, and that, we're, <clears throat> that we don't think too highly of ourselves 
and that, and that we really don't even trust ourselves and trust our opinions. What we trust is godly wisdom, and that's what we lean into. That's why we have a, a hunger for the Word of God. And, and so he says, as if it is possible, so, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, here's just something I want to point out to you, uh, this idea about living peaceably with all. He says, if it's possible. And so that tells me that, that sometimes that, that Paul recognizes that standing up for justice, standing up for what's right, standing up for what is good and godly, that sometimes that's going to put us at opposition with the rest of the world. Sometimes that's going to put us at enmity with the world when we stand up for what is just. But what, what we shouldn't do is to strive to be oppositional people. We ought to strive to stand for the things of God and ultimately to, to stand for the things that, that, that put the character of God on display and, and, and for the conditions that are given to the kingdom of God. But we ought to do so in a way that ultimately that people see gentleness and kindness and they see those things that are reflective of the character of God in our lives, even when we're having to do hard things and having to stand in opposition to things that are happening around us. So then thinking about the created purpose of man, I think about Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, kind of being that idea of the created purpose of man. Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift to him or that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Let's don't forget that our intrinsic purpose, the reason that we've been created, the thing that, that we're set apart and separated to do in life is to glorify God. That, that our, our privilege in living out our purpose is that we get to enjoy God forever, but the reason of, that we've been created, our purpose is ultimately to glorify God. And so when, when we live in these ways, we're, we're, we're drawing glory toward God, and the side benefit of that is that we also get to enjoy Him. Now, in the second section of, of this book three of Mere Christianity, Lewis talks about four cardinal virtues. And when, when he uses the word cardinal, um, literally that word means the hinges that the door swings on. So think about it like this. Without these four virtues, Lewis is basically saying that the Christian life is, is pointless and cumbersome, just like a door that's off of its hinges. Like what purpose does a door serve if it's not hanging on the hinges? It's just in the way. It doesn't really serve its purpose. It, it's just kind of in the middle of things, and, and it doesn't fulfill its created purpose. And as a matter of fact, it's actually an irritant. So these four things Lewis kind of points into and says, if you look at a summation of everything we've just talked about, they kind of come out in Christians living out these four virtues. And there, there are four things, prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. And for prudence, that's, that's just like common sense. That's taking time out to think what you're doing and what is likely to come of it from a kingdom perspective. It's, it's just a really good definition of spiritual maturity that, we, that we're people who don't just act and react, but we're people who think and we're thoughtfully considered of how our actions are, are, are going to, and the results our actions are going to bring from a kingdom perspective. Will they bless God? Will they ultimately reach godly ends? Will they fulfill godly purposes when we do these things? And if we don't, we judge the prudence of those things and judge that they're imprudent and we don't do them. 
The second thing is, that he talks about is is temperance. And, you know, we think about that in terms of like the temperance movement and and the consumption of alcohol and, and, and all that. It's kind of where maybe a lot of us are drawn to think. But temperance just means going to the right length and no further. It's based on having godly discernment. It's about knowing knowing how far to go without going too far, but also being like being sensible about the fact that we that we step in and we do act. Third thing is justice, and that just means uprightness in everything. It's it's bringing the conditions of the kingdom of God to bear right here, right now. And then the fourth thing, the fourth cardinal virtue that that Lewis talks about being lived out of the life of a believer is fortitude. And the word that Lewis actually uses in mere Christianity to talk about to describe fortitude is guts. It's courage in the face of danger and endurance in the presence of pain. And and so Lewis says, like, or do we have lives that are that are characteristic of the fact that we're unafraid to step into things that may be dangerous because we know that our eternal destiny is sealed? Are we people who are willing to continue to press on in the face of pain because ultimately we know the God that walks with us and the Lord that has redeemed us? The final thing that Lewis talks about in this section of mere Christianity is about the idea of a social morality. And so he really just kind of poses the question and says, what would the world look like if everyone were Christian? The conclusion that he comes to is this, that the world in a lot of ways would look just like it is today. That it would look like a place where people are living and doing business and raising families and and all of those things would be characteristic of the world today. But the difference would be that they all would be done with a perfect sense of the kingdom of God in view that we would work to bring glory to God, that we would always parent our children in a way that we're pointing them to God and glorifying God, that we would do the things that we do recreationally as an expression of our love for God and, and ultimately our thanksgiving for God and our enjoyment of his world, that we that everything we do, that it wouldn't be done out of selfishness, it wouldn't be done out of, out of impure motives, it wouldn't be done out of anything else, that we'd go to the grocery store and that our grocery shopping would be done completely with the kingdom of God and and the purposes of God in in view. And so he says that, you know, and and really I think where he's leading us to think is that when, when we're focused both on those internal things and those external things, when we're focused on on the purpose that our lives have been cut out for, that we as Christians will live and be qualitatively different and that ultimately we will be an agent of bringing the kingdom of God to bear right here, right now, today, and not just think of the kingdom of God as a future reality. We know that there's going to be a day when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom in full, and that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we, our, our very inmost being cries out for that day. But until that day, you and I are called to be people that every day in big and small ways that bring the truth and the essence of the kingdom of God to bear in the big and small situations that we live in, in in ways that point people toward the Lord, in ways that ultimately bring glory to him. Hope this has been helpful for you today. We're excited about continuing our study in mere Christianity, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, how you're enjoying this study and maybe something that the Lord's doing in your life as a result of um, some of the things that we've been talking about here on the Defender Bible Study. And so you can reach us at info at lifelinechild.org is our email address or at lifelinechild on all of the major social media channels. 
We'd love to be in conversation with you and hear about what the Lord's doing in your life and in your family. And we pray that you have an incredible week and that the Lord is close to you and is also growing you to be more and more like him every day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.